I said good day, Olympics lovers, and thanks for bopping that play button to begin the 97th escapade of Scoring at the Movies podcast action. We review sports films from the past, and we spoil those sports films from the past. I'm the goofy plasterer. That's what he actually does now. He's a plasterer who likes milk and will never be Olympic material, even though I've learned to go up, back, forward, and down. Ryan Ellis. And the next voice you'll hear belongs to the snow raker, who doesn't wear a jacket in the winter because he's been warmed by flask booze. Lord, you're back to being a Lord, Chris Gregorio. I like that the title comes and goes. Well, because an English character in this, a lot of English characters, in fact, in this film. Fair enough. It struck me as odd when you suggested that we do this recording naked in a sauna until I... Sauna? A sauna. <laughs> until I watched the movie. Then it all made sense. It's very thematic, so I think it'll be an enjoyable record. To address the scoring at the movies factor right now? Right now. <laughs> It's not great. Two handsome are. leads who are not sexualized in this movie at all. Hugh Jackman, no. Taron Edgerton. Iris Burden, who plays Petra. Not bad. But that sauna scene, those guys are looking good. Those guys were looking pretty fit. Petra's the like German bar. Who comes on in. him when they first meet. Okay, that's one of my favorite moments in this movie. The horny, middle-aged German woman that just shows up. But I wasn't sure, and tell me what you think. Is she just messing with him at that point, or is she legitimately saying, listen, you're away from home, you want to have a little action? I wasn't sure if she was sincere or just messing with him. First of all, if I said Burden, it's Burben, so B-E-R-B-E-N. I think the movie's saying that she's actually into him, but then he, oh my god, I don't know what to do. This guy's never had sex before, I don't think. No, I don't think. Have you seen the real guy in the real time frame when this movie was set? Not so much in more modern pictures, because when you see the real Eddie the Eagle, Eddie Edwards, Michael Edwards, actually, He's not a bad-looking older guy now, but in the time frame of 88, wow. Edgerton tries his best, but he does not look anything like, well, he looks something like him, but Edgerton's too attractive to look anything like the real Eddie the Eagle. So if she's coming on to that guy, it's either a pity thing or she just doesn't get anything from anybody else. But I thought the movie was saying that she was actually into him. I did too, except at the end, after he begs off and runs out, she has a little bit of a smirk on her face. So I thought, okay, maybe maybe she's just poking fun at him. And she doesn't do it again, so maybe you're right. Yeah, and she leads off that whole bit by saying, when a ski jumper wakes up in my whatever room that was, it's with me. Just implying that she likes to sleep with all the ski jumpers. She's a single proprietor of whatever this in-bar thing is next to the hill, so I'm sure she has her fun with the traveling skiers. It doesn't really matter either way. It has no bearing whatsoever. I just thought it was like a really fun moment for this one character that we don't really see much else the rest of the movie. She's in the movie quite a bit. She's probably in the movie more than his parents are overall. Yeah, but no consequential scenes. That is her biggest singular scene. And then scene. patching him up when he has that bad fall. And patching him up, I suppose, as well. Yeah. yeah. And then she's with Jackman a few times, including when he's clearly on the wagon. I wish they didn't make that entirely clear later on when he's drinking milk on the plane. Because you see him watching the events when he's still back in Germany and Eddie's gone to Calgary to compete, and Bronson Perry, Jackman's character, is drinking what could be a booze drink, but he was always drinking out of the flask or a beer, and that's not what he's got in front of him. So it would have been a nice subtle touch to say he's on the wagon. Just like he had said, okay, we're going to do this in four years, Eddie. We're going to go to, I think it's Albertville would have been four years later in 92. 
we're going to do this. And then, of course, Eddie says, no, I'm doing this this year. But then Eddie goes on his own to Calgary. Okay, we've really gone over the place here with this podcast so far. Is your beer open? You had to open it because you dropped it. And we want to make sure it yeah. wasn't going to explode. So you opened it in the sink. It took a good tumble, much like Eddie off of the ski ramp. Oh, right? yeah. Not beer, but sparkling hard tea, upping the testosterone level of this podcast whenever I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said you drink out of a flask, but I'm the one that drinks out of a flask sometimes. Not literally, actually. I like to pour in my mixed drink, which, of course, I have, yeah. as always, with my frosted mug. I don't want to apply any additional pressure to this particular recording than we might otherwise place on ourselves. But if we don't stick a recording of at least 61 minutes here, Ryan, I'm going to have to get a real job. So (laughs) we got to really stretch it out. Vamp it. Vamp it. (laughs) Do you like cheese? (laughs) Do you like food? Let's let's run through every cheese and we'll debate whether it's good or not. How's that? (laughs) Nice callback, though. Thank you. Okay, Volando Alto, as it was known in Mexico and lots of South America, was released by Fax six years ago on February 26th, 2016. That was not the Olympic year. No, the Winter Olympics were not that year. They would have been the Summer Olympics in 2016. Right. So they should have been positioning this movie for the 2018 Olympics, I guess. Anyway, it was a failure domestically, but doubled its budget when you incorporate worldwide grosses. So overall, the box office haul was adequate for Eddie the Eagle. The Rotten Tomatoes critics... Love the movie. 81% said good. Okay. 6.6 out of 10 was the average. So not an overwhelming amount of strong reviews, but they did recommend it. But solid all around. And 205 people reviewed it on Rotten Tomatoes and 82% of audiences. It was 117th at the box office in 2016. Two movies we maybe should cover one day to mix it up a little bit. And I have not seen, I don't think either of these. Maybe I've seen the first one, but not the second one. Race, which is about Jesse Owens. I've never seen him. If I saw it, I don't recall. That was 110th. And The Queen of Cotway which is also on Disney Plus, like this is. It's about chess. All right. Well, at least it would be a little bit topical now. Well, we did Molly's Game. That was sort of not Molly's Game. What do we do about chess? Molly's Game is poker. Poker was Molly's Game. What was chess? We didn't do chess one day. Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, of course. I think they're in the same time frame. That's why I thought of Molly's Game. So Queen of Cotway was 141st. And since I'm doing the talking, I'll just jump in here with a nutshell of this movie, and then I'll get your thoughts on it, because I think you've seen this before. Yeah, yeah. And I have too. In a nutshell, for Eddie the Eagle... Cool jumpings. Hey, man. Oh, God. I got thinking about how this was, because you do hear them mention the Jamaican bobsledders. In yes, this. they do. And the 88 Olympics in Calgary included both the Jamaican bobsledders portrayed in Cool Runnings and then Eddie the Eagle, two underdogs who finished last, and yet they have lasted in people's minds all these years later and have had movies about them. And Cool Runnings, of course, was successful. It's also on Disney+. Plus. We covered that years ago. But that's why I said cool jumpings, man. Yeah. It hurt me inside when you said that, but I appreciated it anyway, just because of that one moment when you actually hear, just in the background, the announcer or something saying, and now let's talk about the Jamaican bobsled team trying to blah, blah, blah. Oh, John Candy. It's ski jump time, yeah. man. <laughs> What's their thing? Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhythm. Feel, feel the rhyme. rhyme. We can never remember the next part of it. And then, it's bobsled time. <laughs> feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Blah, 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 blah. It's bobsled time. <laughs> yeah. I do like this movie, though. I never saw it in the theater. Mostly because I couldn't quite figure out what it was about. I've said this about a few other movies we've done, that I feel like this is a movie that might have done better with some better advertising at the time. This time I can't blame Disney because it was a Fox movie, but it's on Disney Plus because, of course, they own Fox now. Yeah. Disney itself, with Glory Road, for example. Oh, yeah. Good movie. Didn't market it all that well. And this was not well marketed, really, considering Hugh Jackman is the second lead in it. The image from the poster of just him on top of the van, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty iconic image. But I have no recollection of understanding at all what this movie was about, nor that it was essentially 
a biopic for all intents and purposes of this guy in this brief period of his life. It's the kind of movie that I would have been interested in seeing if I understood better what it was about because of Hugh Jackman. And he was, of course, huge. I was a big fan of his. and Huge Ackman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even Taron Edgerton, because this would have been post-Kingsman, right? Around the same time as the first one, I guess. The yeah. first one, yeah. But he was a guy that was becoming a little bit better known at this point. And I liked most of his stuff. I'll be honest with you. I liked him a little bit less in this role than I've liked him in other stuff, including okay. Kingsman. By the way, Kingsman, the first one, was a couple years before this. Okay, You're yeah. Right. So I feel like he gives it his best, but there are moments when it feels a little bit hammy what he's doing at okay. times. Yeah. But it's not an awful performance by any stretch. I just like Jackman's performance a lot better. I like some of the bit act and i use bit loosely here like the german tavern keeper i loved her performance i loved his parents performance mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. the dad mm-hmm. <laughs> they give it their best shot fair play but now get them to work he's just unrelentingly not mean but just like i have no time for my son's nonsense anymore he's got to get a job and get to work and just like a very straightforward way and then the mom is of course very supportive gives eddie the keys to the van so he can run off to germany or whatever it was he was going to compete the train yeah well you won't like what i did with the savings account then she says to the father (laughs) how much money do they have because he's got to go for weeks i guess months actually yeah and i guess in reality eddie went to lake placid to train so he had to go across the sea as well the ocean to do it, not just to drive on the same continent. The father was saving up for a new work van or something, right? So I don't know what a van would have cost then, $10,000? So maybe that's enough then to get Eddie through the training. And he's probably not eating very well, and he's probably not... He's just drinking glasses of he milk doesn't and having some... spend anything, yeah. He's yeah. obsessed with just ski jumping. It's not like he drinks either, like Bronson Peary does. Well, the parents are Joe Hartley, that's the mother, who's only made about 15 movies. She's very likable in this film. And then Keith Allen, who's in Train Spotting and The Others, two movies that Bev and I have covered, including The Others, just last October for the Top 100 Project or my other podcast. I probably should have known it was coming because I have seen the movie before, but it was quite a long time ago. And one of the biggest problems with this movie is that we've seen this kind of story, this kind of arc, over and over and over and over in sports movies and just regular movies. But I actually didn't remember if the father ever did come around. And the payoff with... I am Eddie's mom on her sweater when they're watching him jump. And at the very end, when they meet him at the airport and it's opening up the jacket, I am Eddie's dad. That and uh, I'm proud of you, which is what Bronson says to him when he's up on people's shoulders. The movie actually got me at the end. The emotional payoff at the end. Again, we've seen this kind of thing so many times. This is not a very good screenplay. It's by the numbers. It is. Based on a real story, I know. But even that does not really have that much juice or life to it because we've seen it. Well, it has life because the actors give it life. The actors are the reason why this movie is good at all. Yes. It's not like I hated the screenplay. It's just we've seen that kind of thing done before. But that payoff with Bronson and the payoff with the father and even the payoff with the other guys, the slow motion thing where they're all watching with their faces when he's in the air. Whoa, is he going to make it? I was just reading before we sat down that that wasn't a slow motion thing. They played it slow motion. So the actors who played the Norwegians and the actors who played the Finns, I guess, and then Hugh Jackman and the parents, they were all doing a thing like in, what's it, Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're walking slow, but they're really? just they're playing that they're walking slow. I didn't pick up on that. I should probably I look for that on YouTube to see if it gives itself away when you know that. But anyway, the idea we've seen, again, in many movies of the slow motion, is he gonna do it? Because all he really has to do is land, and he almost doesn't keep himself up, but great balance, and then he managed to land the jump, even though he isn't nearly good enough to win anything, but that's not the point. So yes, the movie in the end got me because I did like the emotional payoff of the father finally coming around at the very end. I wasn't sure if he would. 
Yeah, and I think that's a credit to the performance of the actor playing the father as much as anything. I don't give a lot of credit to the screenplay either, because I felt like it was very ham-fisted. And to the extent that I feel like Taron Edgerton plays things a little bit hammy at times, I think that's at least in part due to the screenplay as well. He's just not given the best material or been put in the best positions to really subtly succeed at what he's trying to convey in some situations. But the father does a great job, like I said, of being disapproving without ever being mean. Yeah, and not violent by any means. It leaves you wondering, is he going to come around? Because he gives no real indication that he will. But at the same time, when he does, you buy it and it pays off. Because if he was a real jerk, it almost goes too far. And then when that character, father, mother, whatever, does come around at the end, you're like, really? But why? Because they've been a total jerk this whole time. They've given no indication whatsoever that they even like this person. All of a sudden, they love them and they're all on board. I don't know about that. But this performance by the father in this movie played it just mean enough, but at the same time believable enough that when it pays off at the end, that's heartwarming, right? Mm. I didn't get like the teary-eyed, salty discharge moment out of that. I think I did because of the combination of the father and his coach, meaning Jackman's character. Yeah, that surrogate father And then the, plays, the people yeah. meeting him at the airport. He wasn't a good ski jumper, but they still treat him like he's a hero. And I think that's a lot of what wins me over about this movie, just aside from some of the performances in it, is the fact that it is a movie ultimately that celebrates this kind of desire and pure passion for something. And, and inclusion. And inclusion. A big word the last five or six years of our socially aware times. And in the case of Eddie, it's not necessarily a pure passion for the sport because he actually tries a few different things Mm -hmm. in his life, right? But it's mostly summer Olympic sports is what he's trained for when he's a young kid. When he's very young, yeah. He's a terrible athlete. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. But he's got that drive and desire to want to be part of his country's representation on the global scale. He wants to be just somebody that represented the UK. And that kind of passion, I think, is admirable, regardless of what your aspiration is. Thankfully, this movie sticks to reality closely enough that it doesn't do something silly, like try to portray Eddie as even being in competition for any kind of medal. He's still very much bottom of the pack. Because Cool Runnings does. Because Cool Runnings does. And you told me during that podcast, they were more like Eddie the Eagle. They were never close. That's right. But then being there was the win. And then I guess they really did wipe out. But they walked there sled off the course and everyone applauded it. I think in reality, not just in the movie. I think that's true. But the movie says that they had a shot in Cool Runnings. This movie, you're right. It's all about him just competing. So there's a question for you. One of the biggest struggles I have with the whole film, I might be a thumb up rather than being a very thumb in the middle type review. (laughs) Your thumb is just kind of like hovering. hovering, (laughs) Because of that screenplay being what we've seen so many times. There's a part of me that thinks, much like in Karate Kid, the angle I never heard until more recently, people say about how Forget Cobra Kai, the show. People said this even before that. That Johnny and his friends have been training at karate forever. But the Daniel, this new guy, comes in, I'm going to take your trophy. And Daniel was better, so he deserved to win. We all like the underdog story. But this reminds me of that whole problem in Karate Kid and other sports movies, too. I've worked at this forever. I've done everything right. I've sacrificed. And then you just walk in here in a matter of months. Cool Runnings was the same thing, I guess. And you're going to just go ahead and take over and push me out of the limelight. And this guy gets so much attention. I do understand why they're a little bit, not even so much jealous, but angry that that's happening. Because there's a part of me that thinks, you don't belong there. They're not wrong. Yeah, I feel surprisingly differently than you do, I think. I had this question for you, actually, specifically from a slightly different angle. And it has to do with 
just this raw desire that presumably the real guy felt to just represent his nation and he just wanted it so badly yeah and it didn't matter what the sport was which does play the kid thinks he's gonna be a swimmer yeah he's holding his breath that's how we meet him right Mm -hmm. so we've both commented on this in other movies the sense of entitlement certainly in a movie like rudy worst example of it and i think one of the reasons why we both as adults didn't like that movie But I didn't feel similarly about this. And the only reason was because by his presence at the Olympics, in ski jumping specifically for his country, he was not taking that opportunity away from anybody else, right? Because Great Britain had no other ski jumpers. He wasn't bumping anybody else. He was the team. He was the team. There is an element, yes, of the media attention being focused on him momentarily. And so if there's some frustration with people about that or some hurt feelings by his teammates in the Olympic team for his country that, oh, you don't, you're a joke. You don't deserve to be here. Well, blame media, I guess. They're the ones that are interviewing him. They're the ones that are making him yeah, a star. exactly. A, that's not his fault. B, one of the things this movie does do pretty well, that moment where he does hold essentially his own little press conference and he says, I'm not deluded. I'm by no means a great ski jumper. And he just sort of explains himself a little bit. I feel like it's addressing exactly what you're talking about to some degree, just to say that, The character does not feel like he's up there with these other people. He's not entitled to this. He's truly just happy to be there. Yeah, and part of the issue I had with the screenplay was how mean some of these characters seem to be. And maybe this really happened. The teammates on the Great Britain team, they're just jerks to this guy from the get-go and throughout. They get him drunk on purpose so he'll be hung over and miss the opening ceremony. Yeah. and What's it, the point of that? It's just spiteful and petty and I can understand you feel like you've trained and trained and trained just to get to this point where you can represent your country. But really are you holding that much of a grudge against somebody else for also representing the same country when they're competing in a different sport? Your aspiration is probably to compete for a medal, not just to be there. I've seen some interviews with him, the real-life guy. He's a guy probably with some specific mental health issues, at least at this point in his life. He had what I think you could probably argue was an unhealthy obsession with this particular goal, but it was an obsession he felt nonetheless. So if you meet the guy and you still come away and feel like, I got to get this guy drunk and absent so he misses the opening ceremonies. What are you, 10 years old? Really? Yeah. So that felt a little unrealistic to me, just like the extent to which the Finnish or Swedish jumping team that they meet. Finnish. They just see him in a bar minding his own business and they feel like the need to call him out and be an unrelenting ass to him then. And the Germans also. Maybe you're thinking of the Germans because it's Maddie who talks to him later on. Maddie blows him off early and then when he's about to make his big jump, which is the 90 meter jump, and he lands about 70 meters. Yeah. So he takes the 90 meters high but goes 70 meters out. I don't know much about ski jumping. I'm sure you don't either. But I think I've got that right. But when they're going up on the elevator together, Maddie's saying... You and I are the only ones here that really get this, which is, it isn't about medals, and Maddie's going to win a medal probably. I think he did. He won the gold that year. Okay, there you go. He knows, as does Eddie, that Eddie's not going to win anything. But it's, I guess what the closing title card says, something about how some actual person about the Olympics said something along the lines of, it's the doing of the thing. Yes. And doing it better than you thought you could, or at least as well as you thought you could. Maddie says something along the lines of, if I win a gold medal but don't do as well as I could, that's a failure. Eddie landing that jump, and of course if he falls down... They make that pretty clear in the movie without really driving it home the way so many other things in the movie are driven home, which is if he does fall, the jump's no good. doesn't count. He could go record. Well, he wouldn't, but somebody could go a record. (laughs) He tumbles and then fall 200 meters. And you might might as well not even bother jumping, as it turns out. So that's the point Maddie's making, which is if I don't push myself to be as good as I know I can be, 
then the medals aren't the point. So there's a nice arc for his character, and he's barely in the movie, the guy who plays Maddie. He's only pretty much in a couple of scenes. But I think you're talking about the scene that leads to Jackman standing up for Edgerton yes. and getting in a fight. And a nice touch in a guy who is, of course, known best for Wolverine. So he's drinking. He's PO'd <laughs> through a lot of the early part of the film. He's playing Diet Wolverine, effectively. Minus the claws. And he ends up in Canada as well, in a wintry part of Canada. Minus the claws, though, yes. And he's not quite as angry as he often is in the Wolverine character. But he, in a nice touch, one of the smarter things about this movie, is knocked out by the Germans. He is. That was so he fun. gets in a fight. He does the old cartoonish. They should have had the birds thing around his head. Because when that big dude punches him right in the face, he goes completely straight back. Obviously, going to a crash mat. Yeah, that <laughs> it's was good. It's cool to see a guy who plays Wolverine just get his butt handed to him like that. Ooh, we're being so PG today. Yeah, it's a very family-friendly movie. I figured we should be gentle about it where mm-hmm. we can. That fight scene specifically is what I was thinking of when the... And again, I can't remember which nationality those people were. They were Germans. They were Germans. Okay. So yeah, they were just being jerks to this guy because he's just chilling at the bar. He's drinking milk. Excuse me, the hot Germans in the sauna. (laughs) The sauna. The older I get, the less I both have patience for and tend to believe, especially if you have children. And we saw this in like Hardball, for instance. If you have that age of kid just being unrelentingly jerkish to somebody else... Yeah, sure, because they're, they're kids. kids. That happens. But when these ski jumpers are probably in their early 20s, they're probably still a little bit of a jerk. But nonetheless, you should know better than just pick on some random guy that's just doing his best, right? Mm-hmm. There's but, a nice point in Best in Show, actually. The dog movie, the parody dog yeah. movie that Christopher Guest did 22 years ago. Catherine Hera turns her ankle. She's always the one that's parading around the dog in the various dog shows. Because she can't do it, her husband, who's got two left feet, <laughs> Eugene Levy has to do it. And I like the touch where all the main characters, who also have their own dogs, are helping out. And that's probably what would happen in the Olympics, too, which is, can we make this a little bit better for you? You don't have to go out of your way to help someone you don't like and maybe don't respect, like in Eddie Edwards or the Cool Runnings bobsled team. But are you going to hold them back? I don't think so. The average person yeah. is probably going to do what they can, like in Best in Show, to help them out. And I said this in the podcast, Bevan, I did about Best in Show, which is maybe there's an element of, well, you're not going to win now anyway because you got this person who's not going to lead the dog the same way. He's not as good. So you're not a threat, but we do have to help you get out there and actually get the dog to do its job. So at least you can do that. Don't hold Eddie back. Just don't be a terrible human being, Mm. and that's all we ask. I think what you just described before the Best in Show thing about the Finnish ski jumper who... Maddie. Yeah, I can't remember his last name. It starts with N, I think, doesn't it? Maddie Nikonen. Nikonen, yeah. If you still go through the rest of the movie and you don't buy what I'm selling around Eddie being there, I think that moment where Maddie does talk to him cemented the fact that I'm okay with this kind of character really pushing to get to where he got to, simply because if anybody should be upset with Eddie for making a mockery of the Olympics... It's the best guy at it? Yeah, the best, right? Because Eddie's no threat to this guy whatsoever. But Maddie is the top of the heap, right? His fame, such as it is, is purely predicated on ski jumping. So if anybody is going to make a mockery of ski jumping, you would think he would be upset about that. But it's the opposite, right? He says, no, we're two sides of the same coin. We're only really alive when we're ski jumping or whatever it is he says. But basically, he's validating Eddie's existence at the Olympics for Eddie. Based on that, Maddie would probably appreciate if Eddie was a threat to him. Yeah, probably. Push me even harder. Push that's me the harder. Point of the Olympics. Yeah, make me be even better than I was. That's right. And I think that's really what you hope everybody's attitude is about sport generally is, yeah, you want to win. You're all competitive people. That's why you're here. But 
I got to be the best that I can be. And if that's good enough to win, then great. I don't know if that lines up with reality necessarily, but I think that's maybe the hope. Okay. So that question I said I had for you that I've still not posed to you, Eddie's passion for this, and this is something I've struggled with my whole life is have you ever felt so passionately about something in a way that you might feel is reminiscent of what we see Eddie strive for in this movie? Like he just really desperately wants to compete at the Olympics. And I can honestly say at no point in my life have I ever felt that driven about anything. Nowhere close. Rack of my brain. No, I love baseball still. Not like I used to. That's the only sport I really have any real passion for. Even though I used to like leaving them aside all. sports too. Generally, oh, okay. in your life, my two podcasts. I spent a lot of time on them. There's a lot of passion for that. Obviously, family and friends and Bev and the dogs. But this obsessed, no. And maybe that's one reason why somebody can be either Maddie or even Eddie, because you have to be that single-minded and focused and want it that yeah. bad. I think so. I think. No, I can't relate to that. Maybe that's one reason why people who. If we're all just throwing a big blender when we're all young kids and who's going to be the next World Series champion or the next person who wins the bowling championship or they win a spelling bee or they're the chess champion or the nuclear physicist who's at the top of that field, president of the United States, you wouldn't necessarily know it. But if you could just somehow see what their drive was, as smart and talented as we may be, I like to think we are, but are we really driven? No. <laughs> Certainly not like these guys. No, Most of the people not. we've ever covered in this podcast, 90, what I say, seven episodes? Is it 97? We're not as driven as almost anybody we've ever talked about in this podcast, no. and certainly not as much as Eddie or Maddie or those German guys. No, that's exactly right. It makes you really wonder, A, what it must be like to feel that level of drive, and then B, it makes me appreciate... That he has it? Yeah, that anyone can have it? That he has it. That's kind of why when you were... 15, 20 minutes ago when we first started down this line of discussion and you were saying it was a little bit problematic for you in enjoying this movie that he felt quasi-entitlement. It's not so much that. It's more a matter of he's not making a mockery because he does love it. Talk to me in another week or two and I maybe would even watch this movie again and just completely buy in. But this one day I'm watching it thinking, you really don't belong here. And also because as Peary points out to him, he just has to make one jump that goes far enough. And, of course, the Brits change their own rules. He has to go even yeah. further than he did originally. But he has to make one jump to qualify. Really? That's that, all it takes? That did really? strike me as incredible. And For anybody, not just him. Anybody, that's all it takes. That's all it takes, right? Yeah. Now, granted, it was supposed to be like a recorded jump, and it ended up being a practice jump. But then they recorded it. Because they recorded jump. it. I'm assuming... True. I'm assuming true because I know that other elements of the story that didn't necessarily have to be true to life were kept true to life. I already give this movie credit that it didn't take the cool runnings route of trying to make Eddie more competitive. They got a shot. None of that. None of that. So having done no research into the background (laughs) of this, aside from watching a few interviews with the real life guy, I assume that that's true to life. It's mind blowing. And maybe that's just a relic of 30, 40 year ago Olympic qualifying. Whereas now you look at any Olympic sport and you're competing and you're competing and you're competing just to get in and whether that's at the national level or through some sort of international competition it's not land one jump of 61 meters and you're in wow okay and even if you were some kind of person who had done it before i mentioned daniel larusso and karate kid earlier the third movie when he defends his title from the first movie Mm -hmm. he's pushed right into the finals he doesn't compete once until he goes up against the bad guy in that movie 
there's a grandfather clause, I guess you could say, in that because he's a previous champion. Because he's so old at that point. He's practically a grandfather. We all get frustrated about this, but there's an element. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He was getting old at that point. He was not a kid. Not even close Ralph, to it anymore. Ralph was he about 35 at that he point? He might have been, so as frustrating as it might be when people are given special treatment in the world, whether it be a celebrity or an athlete, Trump, whoever, where they get whatever they want to because of their wealth or their fame from before, that's also reality. I know I sound like a dick here because I'm saying, why didn't Eddie get to be the Olympics? This seems like a crock. Because we should want that. The Olympics are supposed to be about, and as he points out to the British people, I think it's the British Council, isn't it? It was, yeah. Aren't we supposed to be amateurs? Yeah, we don't want amateurs <laughs> representing amateur. Britain. I get what they're saying, though, too, which is an amateur, yes, but not a complete nobody who they're saying you're making a mockery of British Olympic sports. Not even so much your yeah. sport, but the sport as a whole. Even though they are played for comedy more than anything else, I do empathize more with the position of that British Olympic Selection Committee or whatever. And this is not excusing them moving the goalposts on Eddie. That's a jerk move. You would have been eligible, but we just changed the rules, so now you have to do something else. But yeah, if you're in charge of selecting the group of people that's going to represent your nation, you would be concerned with that group of people representing your nation well. And if you don't know Eddie personally, and all you know of him is his random Joe Blow that suddenly shows up and thinks he's going to represent us because nobody ski jumped in 60 years at that point. 1929, yeah. Yeah. And he's not very good at it either, really. By ski jumper standards, he's not very good at it. You and I couldn't even do any of this. Oh, no, I wouldn't be able to stand up on yeah, that thing, right? right? Nonetheless, landed. So with respect, he's not good at this. Yeah. So I kind of get where they're coming from, but it is a real jerk move that they're ultimately pulling But they out. point out that you have to pay to send a team over there yeah. and to house them and feed them and all that kind of stuff. They have And how do you get our money? Sponsorship. And that's what ends up being the issue with him because he's so popular and famous that he could make his name yeah. on that. Like in Kingpin where Woody Harrelson <laughs> loses the bowling tournament and comes out with no money from it, but then makes more money by being a rubber salesman. <laughs> the rubber man for As Trojans. salesman, yeah. yeah. I'd be curious to know, if you talked to the real-life Eddie, what would he tell you of his Olympic experience? Were these people this mean to him? Not necessarily that they got him so drunk that he missed the ceremony. I'm sure that's some dramatic license in there, but... Were they this cruel to him, or was that just put into the movie just to sort of amp up the underdog story? A bit? I'll bring up Cool Runnings again. Those guys, meaning other bobsledders, helped out. They had to get a backup bobsled, and I think they eventually got it from America, and I think that was what's in that movie, and that may be true. But they were being pushed back against by whatever the team was, Norway maybe, I don't even know, in Cool Runnings. But when you read about it, no, Everyone was trying to help out the Jamaicans, maybe because they're not a threat, maybe because that's the spirit of the Olympics. Right. You know what I'm reminded of, too? Because the Olympics got pushed back to last summer, we're looking at maybe six months ago, this is still fresh in my mind, there was a high jump event. There was a white guy and a black guy that apparently tied. So the judge says to them, and they must have discussed this beforehand, because have you this. seen that? I forget I their names. Yep. But when the judge asked them, you can share the gold medal, they respond immediately and they hug each other in yeah. some moments. So, I don't want to beat you. We'll share it. Yeah. I bet that's the overwhelming feeling of most Olympians rather than, what are you doing here, loser? And this guy was competing with this other guy. So it's the opposite of what we've seen in Cool Runnings and Eddie the Eagle, which is obviously just playing off drama. That's right. Two people that could have and did want to beat each other in the end because they'd rather have just been the actual winner of a gold medal. But when they're told, you can share it, we're sharing it. He didn't yeah. think about it. I think it's the white guy is the more exuberant one, but yeah, they're both thrilled. He's jumping around. That's yeah. the Olympics. It's one of the great moments we've ever seen in the Olympics. Yeah, it's one of the great things about this level of sport. You might have sponsorships that come subsequently if you're known as a successful amateur athlete. But at this point, 
you're just competing, like you said, for the love of the game, for personal best. And so it's those moments that stick in your mind. And frankly, I think if you are an image savvy athlete, especially an amateur athlete who's going to rely on their public persona, perhaps to get some sort of subsequent opportunities once your amateur competition days are over, you should really play into that. I still believe firmly if Barry Bonds had a positive relationship with the media and a positive public persona, he would be in the Hall of Fame. Clemens also. Clemens also, regardless of any steroid controversy. If you're smart about it, you cultivate that public persona. Look at Ted Lasso. Yeah. He wins over the British soccer media, football media, because he's a nice guy. It's a tie of 10 people that I like the most in that show. Such a likable bunch of people. So that's what Eddie is, I guess. Eddie's the <laughs> Eddie is Ted Lasso. Lasso of this, yeah. Yeah. If Eddie is anything like this, and you meet him, and you talk to him for five minutes, you realize he's just genuinely a nice and open-hearted and genuine person about what he wants to accomplish, doesn't hold a grudge against anybody. It's that same kind of thing, the Ted Lasso effect. There comes a point where it doesn't matter how much you want to dislike a person, if they are unrelentingly kind and nice and just genuine to you, you're not going to be able to maintain that level of hate. Mm. And we just don't ever really see that breakdown of the walls in this movie very effectively. If you wanted to portray the British Olympic team in particular as being this cruel, yeah, okay, maybe initially they're peeved about exactly what you described earlier. This guy hasn't really worked for it all that much. But they come around. I think that would have been a more effective and touching emotional arc and probably would have played very well in tandem with the parents coming around. But they don't. But they don't. Cool Runnings, again, I'll bring that up. The team that gives the Jamaicans the most grief when they are walking their sled down at the end to at least finish, I think they're disqualified or something, but they literally do cross the finish line with their sled. Literally the team that it, were yeah. their antagonists, I forget who they were. They may have been the Germans, I don't recall. Along with everybody else, they're giving them a slow clap. Yeah, and it's kind of surprising because you talked about it. This is already a pretty paint-by-numbers screenplay. One of the paint-by-numbers tropes that we see all the time is the or one of the primary antagonists in any movie by the end of the movie, has been won over by how nice and kind and genuine or whatever the protagonist is. Mm-hmm. Like we saw it in Rudy. I mean, it just didn't happen here. And it felt a little bit weird that it didn't. We see it with the parents and we see it with Maddie. To some degree, actually a pretty big degree with Peary. With Peary, yes, of course. He comes around as well. Maybe that's why. There's a lot of people that have to come around. There's a lot more that could have, but there's already three or four that do. That's right. Maybe there's just too many people that come around. They couldn't fit them all in. Even that German team and that fake slow motion thing, the, is he could have learned? Even they care. It's possible. Well, as for Jackman, the biggest name in the movie, obviously, but not top build. I think he's, in fact, the end credit in the opening. The only other sports movie he's done so far, and this is sports-ish, is Real Steel which I don't remember liking very much, but that's sports adjacent. But he is supposed to play Enzo Ferrari in a biopic by Michael Mann. So maybe we will cover him years down the road whenever they do make that movie eventually. Because, of course, that's a playoff of Ford versus Ferrari, which we covered last year. So he'd be the guy we see a little bit of in that one. And then Taron Edgerton, we talked about the Kingsman films, but he's also played Robin Hood, and he was Sir Elton John. Of course. I hate that Sir stuff. Why did I do that? Sir Ben Kingsley. You gotta call him Sir. I hate that. Anyway, he was Elton John in a very good performance, actually, and it was rewarded at the Golden Globes, but then ignored by the Oscars. Maybe because the year before, Rami Malek had got all that praise for playing. Yeah. Freddie Mercury? Freddie Mercury yeah. in the Queen movie. What was it called? I'm forgetting the name of that one now. Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, of course, the most famous song. Sometimes I get a little tied up here. <laughs> but it's maybe the Walk the Line Ray thing. Joaquin Phoenix was as good or better as 
Jamie Foxx was the year before, but Jamie Foxx played the drug-addled, I fix my life because of the love of a good woman storyline. Same story, both good movies, but the year after. So maybe that's why he didn't get recognized at the Oscars the way that Jamie Foxx had. And then same thing. Maybe because Rami Malek, who was very good as Freddie Mercury, wins an Oscar. And then Edgerton, who's pretty good too, in a similar storyline, <laughs> doesn't get recognized. Can't do it back to back. Yeah, right. So those two as the team, I assume you like them well enough. And Jackman... Yeah. Here's the Rain Man thing again. The guy who gets the more notices, nobody really got notices from this movie as in, oh my God, you guys, this movie for this guy. No awards nominations of any kind. But Edgerton was probably the one that people were talking about the most when this movie came out, if they were talking at all. Yeah. So he's Rain Man, as in Raymond and Rain Man. But the one who has the arc in that movie is Cruz. Mm-hmm. Well, in this movie, Jackman is the one who has the arc. It's not Eddie. Eddie doesn't change. Bronson does. Bronson that's true. Yeah, that is like a flip it on its head kind of So moment. did you like their relationship and Jackman and everything in this movie, playing off Edgerton? Yeah, I thought they had a good rapport in this movie. I already said I like Jackman, just generally speaking. I find he's pretty good about adopting a persona that fits whatever role he's put in. He's a renaissance man. He can do a lot. He, he is a, a talented lot. musician. He can, not musician, he's a dancer. Vocalist. Yeah, he can sing, he can dance, we know he can play Savage. He can talk, he can talk, he can talk, he can <laughs> sing. <laughs> nice. Of course, the Wolverine performances, but then he's done rom-coms and yeah. Unbelievable. He's such a sweetheart on Twitter. It feels like you want to put your arm around him and say, yeah, this is my friend Hugh, rather than, he's a giant movie star who's played Wolverine. Yeah. So it's pretty hard not to like him. We covered George Clooney two weeks ago, same thing. Another movie that's not great, but you've got, in this case, not the lead, it's the second lead but people that are so good as movie stars and come across as likable people and you want to see them do these kinds of things. And unfortunately, we're not really going to see Jackman or Clooney again because their other movies don't really involve sports that much. Ocean's Eleven, arguably for Clooney, and then Real Steel, arguably for Jackman. It's impossible necessarily to purely quantify this effect, but I'm sure there's an element to the fact that they they do come across, anyway, as very likable people. That can't help but subconsciously affect the way you view their performances when you feel that way. And that goes to the point of having a good public persona the vast majority of the time is only going to help you. And think about, especially in this era, we know so much negative stuff about people that we used to hold in high regard. And for me, anyway, that's tainted a lot of performers. Mm -hmm. I know we feel slightly differently about the ability to watch them on screen and how that affects that having that subconscious positive image of a performer, you're going to go in predisposed to at least want to like the performance. You're mm. going to start there and then see what happens. If Jackman's a dick, he is a great actor to have hidden that. The way I think he he's just a nice guy. I agree. The Australian Hanks. Yeah, that's a good comparison. As much as I like them together, I like Jackman more in this mm-hmm. role. I think he does a great job of portraying this downtrodden former ski-jumping savant who's turned to the bottle. What really sold me on it was... When he is meant to be drunk and he takes Eddie to the Norwegian's training facility and he's just got that two-minute little monologue, you start here and it drags you in. It seduces you. He talks about each level of jumping. And I bought this was a guy that legitimately... I believe I can fly. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, it was his, I believe I can touch the well, sky. Maybe we shouldn't reference R. Kelly anymore. True. But, good song. <laughs> good song. But yeah, he sold me on him being a person that legitimately loved and believed in the sport and understood it deeply, but at the same time had been crushed by it, right? Mm-hmm. And even does it briefly. 
He that's a good effect shot. There's probably that, that was, a lot more effect good. shots in the movie than you might think because they've got to put Hugh Jackman and Taron Egerton in big crowd scenes outside. And I'm sure a lot of the time they're facing a green screen. Probably. There's some kind of digital thing going on there. Effects yeah. are so impressive that even movies you don't think of as being effects movies in the modern era are. But the scene where he goes down that slope, I read about how he was up there and cabled in, wasn't going anywhere, was still terrified. Oh, but then, certainly. of course, it looks like he goes down and does the jump. And I think it's a pretty consistent, long effect shot. So kudos to the effects right team. Right on him, too. Right. Yeah. So kudos to the effects team for making that look like it's real, because it's one of the more impressive shots in the whole film. And it shows how good this guy could still be. Not world-class, not an Olympian, but he hasn't really done this in a long time, doesn't care anymore. He's obviously aged. He's been drinking for all this time. His liver is floating. And yet he can still <laughs> land a jump from the 90 meters. When I think he is drunk at that moment, he can still land a jump. Doesn't he have a cigarette hanging yes. out of his lip, too? While he started skiing, he's gone about maybe 20, 30, 50 <laughs> yeah. feet and flips and it, it away. Yeah. That was great because, I don't know, there's something about the cigarette hanging from the lip on top of everything else you described. Mm-hmm. No athlete, and it's just doing this because he's drunk as a skunk, mm-hmm. and he's showing off for all this. That's purpose. both courage and cojones. And liquid courage. But also liquid courage and just innate talent to be able to pull that off at yeah, all. Absolutely. Two actors we haven't talked about at all yet. One who has a very small cameo in this movie, but a big name in the history of Hollywood. His only three sports movies I could see online, but Christopher Walken, who is his old coach, who does have another redemption moment at the end. When Warren Sharps, that's Walken's character, says to the interviewers about how he doesn't think that Peary can do this, can't do, he's not a coach, and he lost his faith, and he blew it. Nobody has faith in anyone in this movie, it seems. Well, some people have faith. <laughs> the mother has faith, and obviously at some point Peary has faith. But not many people really have faith in anybody else in this film. But no. then you've got, at the end, Warren shows up in the back and says, I was wrong. <laughs> I can never do a walk in this the best I can do. I'm yeah, sorry. I can't either. But that does help the touching ending thing because they even get to hug it out. Walken's barely in this film. The only two other sports films I can see he's ever done. And you want to do this one, but we just can't find it. Yeah. It's Pool Hall Junkies. I was going to say. And then he's also in a movie I don't want to do because I do not like this guy, Dan Fogler, but Balls of Fury. It's bad. I don't really yeah. want to do it. It's just not a good movie. It'd be a different kind of thing to do. Ping pong. But walking in this film, you get a, I could say, legend. To yeah. play, I don't know if he's in the movie for even five minutes, a picture we see a few times, his voiceover with nothing but cliches in his book, incidentally, but probably true cliches, and then briefly being interviewed. And then, of course, he goes in the back and talks to both Eddie and Peary. And then the other big name in the film that has a decent amount of screen time, but mostly at the end, is Jim Broadbent, who is the British announcer who does dub Eddie. That's right. Eddie the Eagle. We covered him on Dan United last year. He played a soccer bureaucrat, I believe, in that, right? He was against Clough. He was, that's right, yeah. And then he's also in Hot Fuzz, which Bev and I covered just recently on the Top 100 Project with some of the funnier moments in any movie ever that, that movie. he plays off. Not so much him being funny, although he's a funny guy too sometimes, but Nick Frost can't shoot his own dad, so he has to turn the gun in the air like a point break. Ah, bang, 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 bang. But yeah. he is the broadcaster for the BBC. Is it the BBC? I think it's the BBC. It's the BBC. Yeah, right, talking about Eddie and his exploits. Jim Broadbent is a British actor, but he doesn't sound like he sounds... He's putting on very much a yes. BBC broadcaster. That's true accent in this movie and it's very good he's very limited in what he does he's just a sports announcer there's nothing to the character we barely see him it's mostly voiceover yeah exactly but i do agree with you about the walk-in thing i forgot he had any place in this movie whatsoever when i came to rewatch it and i'm (laughs) i'm always surprised when an actor of his stature agrees to do maybe a day's work at the most too it's not like a Nicolas Cage situation as far as I'm aware Christopher Walken just is desperately in need of money and so he's like yeah I'll do a day's work this isn't a rando thing like give me a million dollars and I'll show up for a day 
for a movie like this that's not a particularly big budget no base. zeitgeist really it's not like he's doing a favor for the director I'm aware of we didn't right. mention his name until now but Dexter Fletcher directed this never heard of the he guy directed, he directed <laughs> Edgerton in Rocketman but he's actually acted more than he's directed he has directed a fair amount of films but he's acted more than he's directed anything notable? I didn't really see that much other than Rocket Man, yeah. which was pretty well lauded a few years ago. Yeah, of course. It just felt like the same kind of rock legend biopic we've seen. One of the biggest of all time, but we've seen this kind of story before. So I don't know why Walken did this exactly, because it's not like he, I don't think, knew Jackman. I don't know if he knew Fletcher, but there you go. He comes in the movie for five minutes and <laughs> gives a little bit of credibility. Some of the biggest names in the whole film, Broadbent and Walken, are barely in it. Even Jackman has a surprisingly, I don't want to say small, but it's not as big a role as you might expect. He's about 25 minutes in before we first see him. Exactly. And then for a big chunk of that, because Eddie does go to Calgary on his own, or at least not with right. Peary. Right. Peary, Peary stays behind. So there's a stretch where you don't see him again. So he's out of the movie for, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes in total, if not more. And it's not a very long movie. It's about an hour 45. The moment when Peary does show up and meets Eddie at the Olympics, this guy is back on the wagon again. Mm-hmm. He's wearing the jacket, and Eddie mm-hmm. actually says, nice jacket. His response is, yeah, I put the other one away for now implying I've given up the booze for the moment. That's a good line then. Okay, kudos to the writers. I didn't mention them, by the way. So Sean McCauley and Simon Kelton, who really haven't been writers, and that does show, because like we said, the screenplay wasn't the greatest. The only screenplay at all for Simon Kelton in any way, TV, whatever, and Sean McCauley's only movie script. But they did write this film. And then also the producers, Matthew Vaughn, we know him, right? He directed, no, he produced Snatch because that was Guy Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And I actually like Vaughn's movies as a director more than Ritchie's movies as a director. I tend to as well, But we're actually, talking Vaughn's, yeah. this more recent, of course. He's the Kingsman guy. He is, yep. So I guess that's why he knows Edgerton. And his wife, Claudia Vaughn, who is Claudia Schiffer. They were, they were both executive producers on this. I don't think she's Matthew produced very Vaughn many is, films. Is married to Claudia I Schiffer? did not know that until looking this up. That lucky son well, of a guy. Yeah, Schiffer, yeah. He's had a pretty good film career and he's married to her. But he's a pretty good looking guy, as I recall. You didn't pick up on that line, eh? The coat thing. Oh, right? yes. Nice jacket. I, I don't think line. I did. That's good writing then. I put I, my booze coat away. Because earlier in the I'm movie, almost surprised they didn't write that because these guys didn't exactly take a subtle hint almost any other time. Well, the that's movie. the funny thing. Most of the screenplay is very paint by the numbers. It's very clunky. And then just one or two times they have these little subtle things. The first time we meet Perry, he's not wearing a coat outside. And he's sipping on a flask, and when Eddie asks him, aren't you cold, where's your jacket? He holds up a flask and says, this is my jacket. But the thing I really like about that callback moment later at the Olympics, when he does say, nice jacket, and the response Perry gives is, I put the other one away for now. They don't call any attention to this whatsoever, but the jacket that Perry is wearing is an Olympic jacket. Mm -hmm. It's not the Great Britain team Olympic jacket. He's not associated formally with that team. This is his old jacket, right? So again, it's not just, I'm not drinking now anymore to support you. It's also through your heroic spirit or whatever you want to say, you've helped me conquer my lingering demons and I'm now once again at peace with my past, right? So it's, I think, meant to subtly indicate that And you brought this to mind earlier when you said it's not actually so much Eddie's character that has this developmental arc. It's actually Hugh Jackman's Peary character that goes to that. More so even than Christopher Walken showing up later in the movie. That moment where he's wearing his Olympic jacket is the completion of that arc to me because that's Peary saying, I'm at peace with my past. I had my life move forward again. Wow, that seems even better than I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good to begin with. Good job of Jackman as well for playing it. So the depiction of the sport. I haven't been on skis since college. <laughs> yeah, it's and been, it's I been wasn't ever before that either. It was just briefly when I was some kind of elective type course or what do you call it? Not even elective, a general. I forget what you call it, but it was a course where we did sporting stuff. I curled. I'd never curled before or since either. I got to learn how to do that. 
So I'm no authority. I guess you're no authority. I used to ski a lot when I was younger. Oh, you are more of an authority. Well, I know there's talent involved in this, but it does seem like gravity is the real hero. And I know that's not fair. Rightly or wrongly, I think this is what the movie's saying, is a sport like ski jumping is more about guts and simple practice than anything else because it takes a certain disregard for your own well-being to get up especially the 90 meter jump yeah. we see some bad wipeouts too including oh one God. that eddie has and a few eddie has certainly i'm no aficionado of the sport but i've seen ski jumping at the olympics a couple of times in the past and some of the wipeouts there you're shocked that they walk away from mm. but really it's assuming a certain position getting down the jump cleanly i think hugh jackman does a pretty good job this is one of the reasons i like his character in this movie of describing the oxymoronic nature of the jump itself where you're both trying to get up and out but also down and into the jump and it's like this betwixt in between kind of thing so ski jumping is worlds away from actual skiing i could comment more effectively on downhill skiing moguls whatever but something like this looks fine to me I just liked the way that Hugh Jackman described the difficulty of it for us, the audience. You're right in saying that they don't go to any great lengths to explain the scoring. They just give you the basics. Like, he's got to hit 61 meters at Mm -hmm. a distance and land it. But in terms of the danger and the internal struggle and the kinds of things that are really playing on Eddie directly... I like the way the movie allows Hugh Jackman's character to exposition dump that on you without it feeling like an exposition dump, you know what I mean? Not as bad as some films. And we also do hear the negative voices in Eddie's head before he makes the 90-meter jump. At the yeah, end. that was pretty good. They're even speculating, is he going to bail and not do this? And I'm not sure that was real, but one thing that definitely is real, we see him, the real person at the end, mm-hmm. in the Olympic contingent with the Brits, the IOC head, I think it is, that's talking about how you can be this, you can be that, or you can soar like an eagle. And they show Eddie... And I could tell by the video quality, and I looked online, so I know it's true anyway. That was the real guy. So the real guy saying, you can soar like an eagle, and the real Eddie in the crowd. That's good. So they actually referenced this guy who was not good at his sport and the closing ceremonies at the Olympics. That's pretty cool. That is a nice touch at the end of the movie. Again, this is a movie that is not perfect. It's got its flaws, but it surprises you when you look at how it pulls off certain moments like that. If they had a little better screenplay, maybe a lot better screenplay, this might have been a tremendous score for me. One more thing, though, before we move on to the score about the yeah. depiction, is that they portray young Eddie as a horrendous athlete. Breaks his glasses over and over again when he tries different things. <laughs> That's right. So it's a little hard to believe that he could be even decent as a downhill skier and then as a ski jumper. Yeah. Except, again, we're talking about a real story, so I guess that's why you have to buy it. I get they have to find a way to really concisely convey that this is a guy that's trying and trying and trying and failing and failing and failing. But why are you keeping all of these broken glasses mm-hmm. and just, just like... Just ditch them. <laughs> just ditch them. I do agree with you. That's a little bit of a tough one to swallow at times is he spent a lot of years practicing skiing and he still wasn't very good. Pretty good, but not great. Eddie himself, I think, had practiced a lot longer than they show in this movie too. It wasn't just a year-ish. I think well, it was several years. For ski he jumping was or skier. I think both. The movie does show that he was skiing before 1987-ish. Yes before the Olympics in 88 in Calgary. But I think that he was a ski jumper even before that in reality. I'm willing to buy that Eddie spent some years trying to become an Olympic skier and never was able to achieve that. And that helped his transition to ski jumping because at least you're solid and confident on skis at that point, right? But being even good enough to land a 90-meter jump in this period of time, it does stretch credulity. Again, I'm just sort of giving the screenplay a little bit of credit for being accurate. But what stuck out to me, just as somebody that did spend a lot of years skiing, 
is when they showed Eddie practicing, and this is Britain, they don't get a lot of snow, at least mm. not compared to what we're used to in Canada. The ski slopes they have there, that's a fake material, right? That's not necessarily snow that these people are all skiing down. Apparently, that's what's going to happen in Beijing, the Olympics this year. Really? I've tried skiing a on that stuff A lot of it's before. fake. That's what I was just hearing about last night. We record this the night before the opening ceremony, so we don't know what's going to happen in the Olympics. We don't know what has happened. Eddie the Eagle type stories might have happened in the time since we recorded and then post this podcast. But I just heard yesterday, February the 2nd, I guess is when I heard this, Groundhog Day, that the snow in China in Beijing, not Beijing, Beijing, get it right, is fake. <laughs> You're taking a hardline stance on, on Chinese pronunciation. Pronounce it properly. We don't say Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Well, you might not. I do. If you're the stranger I, in Big Lebowski, you say Los Angeles. I also say Toronto. I do, too. I usually. emphasize the I also last do. Two. Yes, I don't say Toronto that much. Sometimes I do. Anyway, apparently the snow in Beijing will be fake as well. Regardless, I think, of where you are basically in the world, there is an element of blowing snow where you create snow and it's just frozen water. So you can blow it there, but it's very soft and powdery stuff. But usually you want a base to ski on. Okay. What they had in that shot in Britain, and I don't know what it's made out of, so I'm going to misrepresent this, but it's like some sort of plasticky stuff and it's just meant to simulate snow for the purpose of skiing. And it's awful stuff. So if they're doing something similar, even as a base in Beijing, then I hope that it's come a long ways in the 20 odd years since I last skied on something like that. Because Probably. Back in the day, that stuff was just a nightmare to try to ski on. I hope so in 2022 that they have. I was just picturing Eddie in this movie spending five, 10 years of his life. I'm not really sure how old he's meant to be when we follow him. I assume early 20s at this point. Well, if he was, what to say here? He was 10 in 73, and that's 15 years later, so he's 25. 25. Okay, so yes, presumably he spent about a decade trying to learn how to ski. Just practicing on that stuff over and over and over would have been terrible. It just tough felt man. bad for the guy. Tough young guy. Well, we talked about the score factor. There are some good things and bad things, but the red letter scene is the sauna scene. Hubba, hubba. <laughs> Those German uh, <laughs> ski jumpers. They've been All naked out. in there. <laughs> well, I was going to go more like six for this because the movie does have some flaws. It does. But the emotional ending bumped it up to a six and a half for me, at least. A thumb up, but very generous because there are some big problems. But much like Leatherheads, the performances redeem it as much as it is redeemed. And there's a lot of talented people behind the camera. Dexter Fletcher does a pretty good job of directing yeah. these actors. So I can't hate the movie. I wish I liked the movie more and a better screenplay, which is what we said about Leatherheads, would have pushed it over the top. It's funny that we did those two movies back to back just coincidentally. Because I agree with you. This movie suffers many of the same flaws that we've described in Leatherheads, at least in very general terms. I was going to give it a 7 out of 10. So we're in the same ballpark, mm -hmm. more or less, anyway. Leatherheads was more grievously flawed. It was by the saving grace of some of those good performances that it was even watchable at all. This wasn't muddled. That was muddled. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the sad thing about Eddie the Eagle is you can see enough in this movie with the performances it has. Well, if it had a better screenplay, like you said. It might have been Rocky. Yeah, it could have been just a sensational movie. And it feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity. It's still a good movie. It's still a movie that I think anybody could watch and enjoy it at least once. What could have been, right? And I wonder if that's endemic to the genre, too. When somebody, like a studio, a director, whomever it might be, has a screenplay in hand, are they thinking, people are not going to be watching this and dissecting it on a granular level? Who would do something like that? <laughs> so we don't have to be as perfectionist about the screenplay or elements of the movie that go beyond the acting and the action as we might do if it's just like a straight-up drama or right. a biopic or something, right? Well, in the end, the emotions are the key in a movie like this, and they did work, and that's, that's right. the reason why the movie's not even lower than the rating I gave it, because Agreed. it may have been cliche, I was, I was wrong, and 
<laughs> proud of you, those kinds of things. But they did work on me, I have to admit. It's effective. So the Olympics have a few more days. Enjoy what you do see, fans and folks. We'll watch some of the Olympics. Maybe I certainly will hear about it because I work at the CBC. I can't not hear about what's going on. But we don't know what's happened at all yet because it's the first day or so into the pre-opening ceremonies. It's funny how the Olympics do that. There are games. Things have been happening. The opening ceremonies for us at this point are something like 10 hours away. In two weeks, we'll get back into the boxing ring and do something we do about once a year. We'll talk about rugby. This time, it's the one that turns 40 this year. Oh, damn. Part three. The one where the champ went corporate and Mickey dies. Probably because his heart couldn't take it that Rocky went corporate. <laughs> the so worst thing that happened to you is you got civilized. <laughs> okay, we're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at Scoring at Movies. You can find this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Yes, even Spotify. I'm sure in two more weeks it's going to be the complete villain of all time, but so far we stay on Spotify. I get why there's a controversy. We need but as many listens as we can get. Yeah. Right? Well, we're not Joe Rogan. We're not Neil Young. We're not even some of those other people that have been saying, I'm out of here. And, of course, you can email us at scoringatthemovies at gmail.com. So take her easy, Eddie Edwards. I'm proud of you. <laughs>